We make all kinds of connections, from our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. It's time to consider the possibilities. Good evening. Uh, welcome to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we're a weekly talk show uh, putting ideas out there for you to ponder. And hopefully they are worth considering and just might help to make our lives and your life a little smoother, kinder, and gentler. I am your host, Gord Riddell, and I'm here with my co-host, Alexia Georgiousis. Hello. Hello, Gord. Good evening. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? The time's changing. It's getting dark. I didn't I, even have to put the blinds down tonight. Yeah, I'm a little sad about that. <laughs> a little sad about that. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, now, just uh, to let everyone know, we are live. And that uh, if you have any questions for our special guest, uh, for Philip, a, who I will introduce shortly, um, the number is one 346 9141 And that is a toll-free number. One eight 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 three four six nine one four one, and I know Philip is just waiting for questions, uh, so feel free. Uh, before I introduce uh, our guests, you know uh, my observation is time and time again, working with clients and students, and just about everyone that I know, that most of us live inside of our heads. Um, I often I often define it as being a you know that we get this mansion that has been designed for us and we have this little room at the top that we sit up there in our fear and just kind of look down the staircase and look around uh, and that's sort of you know how most people end up living and and uh you know people are showing all kinds of physical signs of listening but they're actually sort of a major dialogues are going on in their head so they can't really listen so do you find that alexia I do. I do very much in, in myself, uh, you know, in terms of just an awareness of, especially when there's been, when there's a sense of feeling um, disconnected overall or, or disengaged or somehow separate from. And I think that right now with the pandemic, this is also heightening people's need for connection. And really, you know, some people are struggling a, a lot in terms of how to get out of their heads. Yes. <laughs> um, and out of the fear thoughts, you know, it's, it's very, very challenging. Well, let me introduce you to one of the top experts in the field of embodiment, Mr. Philip Shepard. Uh, he's a recognized leader in this field. He is the author of two books. One is uh, New Self, New World, and his most recent, although I know you're working on a third one, uh, is uh, Radical Wholeness. Uh, his insights around the causes, perils, and challenges of our culture's disembodiment are in those books. Uh, he also teaches um, the embodied present process, uh, which he has developed over the last 40 years. Um, you have quite a fascinating background, sir. Welcome. It's pretty varied, yeah. It's, it's a really, pleasure to I be here. I was really varied. People go, what? And I'm <laughs> like, no, I think you just outdid me, sir. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit, you know, where you start off. You're a teenager, and you leave Canada – um, because you're not really liking it over here very much. Uh, and you start bicycling. I did start. I did. I mean, it was, it was sort of lunatic, but I, I was, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, um, I graduated from high school and, and, uh, had been accepted at university to study physics. And then 
there was this part of me that was at war, I would have to say, with my culture, because I could feel myself confined by its assumptions and its values and its habits and its ways of being. And because I'd grown up in that milieu, they were almost invisible to me, even as they thwarted my impulses and and um, shaped my my responses to the world. So, uh, you know, I was tearing at these uh, modes of being um, in the same way. I don't know if you know the the Irish legend of Cuchulain, but but there's this yeah. time when he he goes out and battles the sea and he's thrashing at the waves and they keep coming and eventually he's taken down. And I knew that if I stayed, I would succumb, that some really necessary core part of my being would be diminished. Okay, and so, I get it. Yeah, and so... Yeah, I, have, well, I have a similar thing of like, oh, school's over, let's go to Europe. <laughs> like, yeah. let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know, I, I can't articulate it in the way that you are. It was just like, I liked, you know, I liked history, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and architecture and stuff like that. In my case, I liked Japanese no theater. So That's fascinating. I, yeah. Yeah. What I've been that? studying. Can you, well, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be what, delighted. What? It, it, it is, in, in my estimation, a consummate art form. It is 600 years old. Mm -hmm. It has been preserved intact exactly the way it was performed in medieval Japan. So this, we're talking about the time of Chaucer. Wow. And it's a form that is muted and restrained. And within that restraint, there is so much power. And it is, it is the most embodied performing art I've ever encountered in my life. And there, there is a connection with the earth, even as you glide effortlessly across it. it it's it, so uh, something in my body. I, I, I read about no theater as a 17 year old went to Montreal on a Greyhound bus to see a no play mm -hmm. because I heard there was one there. And so then what am I going to do? Go to physics and say, go to university and study physics? No, let's go to Japan and study no theater. Well, I didn't have any money, you know, as an 18-year-old. <laughs> but, but I reasoned that if I went to England and bought a bicycle and started off for Japan and was headed in the right direction and didn't stop pedaling, that eventually I'd get there. And it sort of turned out to be true. Wow. Wow. That's a long way. But I was going to say... That's a long very long way. <laughs> it was, you know what? Getting up every morning with no idea, like, what's over the next hill, let alone where you'll be that night. And I slept outside everywhere I could. And I came back. I, I came back to myself. But what I mean by that is I came back to my relationship with the present. Mm. So every night... You know, dusk is falling. Where am I going to sleep? And it was this sense of being led, tangibly led, to a place where I could safely spend the night. And I, every single night was without incident. 
Well, well and you're almost describing hmm. that incredible freedom around being led by the unknown, which I think so many people right now are really having a hard time with. Absolutely. Because we want to know. But it, the, the, when you speak of this, I can sort of feel this sense of freedom around being very, very present so that the unknown didn't, wasn't loaded with fear. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are a couple of things I'd, I'd love to speak about that in that. One is that we sort of flatter ourselves into thinking that the present is knowable. The mm. present itself is an unknown. And as we mm. assert ourselves on it and, and try to turn it into something objectified and knowable, we lose the guidance of the mystery, the unknown, the companionship that is always, always there whispering to us. And, you know, it was because my life was on the line, basically, I think, that that sensitivity rose up in me and, and awakened, um, and it's never left. Um, a society, our society demands <clears throat> that we know. I mean, that's one of the pressures, you know, and the dichotomies is there, like, to, to just say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, well, you, you have to know. You, it's, I don't know was not an okay answer in our society in the West. Not in the yeah. West. And we, and we live as a culture, as a society, we live with this almost unspoken belief that knowledge will save us. Yes. And, right. and, and, you know, the scientists, the technology, knowledge will save us. Well, this is absurd because if you look at the problems we face with, with the climate warring and the, the species extinction and the degradation of farmland and on and on, every one of them is the result of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We learn how yeah. to make pesticides. We learn how to make plastic. We learn how to mine oil and burn it. So n knowledge, for me, is lethal if it's not counterbalanced by self-knowledge. Hmm. I think the two have to be equivalent. But, but again, self-knowledge in our culture has been turned, it's been objectified in the same way that we objectify the present. So, so you know, I, I am, you know, uh, a male, my favorite color is blue, my, these are the TV shows, and that's right. who I am. And, right. and I think self-knowledge is a quality that is born in us as a gift of the present. As you come into felt relationship with a tree, with a child on the sidewalk, with whatever, you are illuminated in a way you, you can't shine a light on yourself. It's your relationship with the world that illuminates you. And the more deeply you come into felt relationship, the more deeply you discover who you are, not as an objectified thing, but as this living uh, node within the teeming energy of the world. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. And it, it, it's, it really reminds mm. me of a sense of what you're speaking to, and correct me if I'm wrong, around the identity of the self beyond the constructs, beyond the labels, and having that awareness because when when you speak of knowledge i'm curious if you're also referring to awareness because there's a saying that you know knowledge and information and data is not wisdom 
and yet we do need to have some knowledge. But this this aspect of knowledge versus awareness, I'm curious about. Can you can you speak to that, Philip? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think <clears throat> that one of our ailments as a society is that we are starved for knowledge. We are starved for information. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> the body processes a billion times more information than we can be consciously aware of. And there is such a subtle wealth of information to which the body is attuning. And yet the only kind of knowledge we chase is objective, factual um, knowledge that, you know, there's, a, there's an Aboriginal perspective on this where in our society, we think of knowledge as something that's accumulated and possessed. And, and in the Ojibwe culture, knowledge is something that transforms. You are transformed by what you learn and feel. But we learn without feeling. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and so what the way I see it is that we don't know how to integrate knowledge. Right. So we have, and we've been, <clears throat> we've been trained into a mode of being in which thinking and being are divided. Yes. It's what they teach us in our school system. And how they think teach with us. your head, shut down the body. And so, and so we fill our heads with these ideas that are never felt, never come into contact with our being. And so they are, they remain reactive and they do not transform us. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I, and I feel that I resonate and Gord does too, I'm sure with this in terms of this sense of, uh, of again, relating and integrating the whole self and also relational to our environment, each other, the earth, everything. It's all part of us, all part mm -hmm. of us. And we, we, we are in a, a place where I feel we're at an, we have an opportunity as a culture to really see this deficit, but also step into a place in ourselves to notice how do I relate differently to me, whoever that me is. Yeah, and how do I find the world more interesting than myself? Um, we, are, we are imprisoned in self-consciousness in our culture because we sit in our heads and monitor and supervise and manage. We're, our cultural obsession, from the way I see it anyway, is with organizing. There's nothing. We don't organize. We organize our emotions. We organize our thoughts. We organize our responses. We organize our careers. We organize everything. And, and, yeah, and then yeah, we yeah. have people that will organize us, like governments. Yeah, well, right. They, right. They, there's no end to it. And it's all top down. <laughs> and it's all and, top down. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's God bless organization. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be here talking to you if we hadn't organized it. But when, <laughs> organize, when organization is an obsession... It's impossible to be present because to truly be present is to feel yourself being organized by the present. All that information, those currents of the present, 
coursing through you, are informing you, are organizing you. And if you're organizing yourself, you're in a divided state. And, and mm. you cannot mm-hmm. join the present without dropping into your wholeness. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great listening to the words you're using because, um, you know, they they have they they feel that they have so much depth, and and in terms of the 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 points you're making are, I feel extremely uh, relative relevant rather I should say, in terms of the the discombobulated and separation that people are being challenged with because. You know, we could look at this experience as being extremely purposeful, but your work is very timely. You know, even though I know it's been 40 years of this accumulation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, it has been. It was an overnight success. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Just like exactly. that. <laughs> I love the yeah. overnight success thing. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that that element of that self-consciousness, uh, we're really seeing that. And when... You know, dealing with this pandemic and seeing the numbers going back up again is just that that level of uh, lack of consciousness of others. You know, it's just so in, internally trapped that they're not considering hanging out with their friends and partying and so on as to what the, you know, the organized ramifications of all of this is. Yeah, I, I, we are we are taught that we are alone. And if, yes. I mean, it's an absurd, it's absurd. How, what do you mean alone? I, I'm, I'm, my life is sustained by the exhalations of trees. Everything around me feels my presence as I feel it. What do you mean alone? But if you accept that you're alone, then your number one job in life becomes to organize that private realm and get it right. And then you, you disconnect, you unmoor yourself from the guidance of the present. On that note, we're going to take a break. (laughs) We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening.
listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Um, I am here with uh, Mr. Philip Shepard. Uh, he's the embodiment specialist of the world. Uh, great, great conversation. Uh, please, um, if you have a story or a question or whatever for Philip, please give us a call, one 346 9141 and that is toll-free. So let's get back here, Mr. Philip. Um, we were talking about, I, I don't know, I think, you know, we, we can call it the, the, the uh, selfishness or the self-consciousness of, of, you know, kids standing around and just, you know, watching these pandemic numbers sort of reversing themselves when everything's going back up again um, and causing a problem. Um, these are university kids. And it, it doesn't seem like much in the way of intelligence is being being used at this point. <laughs> Segway to intelligence. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you know, I, I remember that sense of immortality that well, seems that's to really come true with teenagehood, too. you know, yeah. and, and there's also, a, there's just a, a really healthy rebelliousness in that age. I mean, it, your job, you know, is to individuate, to push away. To, Not so, if you're dead. It's hard to push away. If it's hard to. I know. I've watched people try. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, it, it, it's um, it's it's the peer thing. It's a it's an age at which you tend to find yourself through your peers. So it's a really it's a really difficult um, trend to buck. But but mm. if you, as you say, if you really learn to care about your effect on others, then you wear the mask. You keep the distance, not for yourself, but for those. For those people, yeah, exactly. And that, that seems to be, you know, the um, sort of this underlying piece in our society of that entitlement. You know, I see them as going hand in hand. It's about me, that this is what you owe me. And I really don't give a rat's ass about you. You know, so it's, it's, um, I would hate to be in public health right now. That's all I can say. I can't yeah. even imagine what their job must be like in time to, to educate and putting people out on the streets like their nurses and all that to educate. Well, because, especially at that age group, you know? Yeah. And, and, and Philip, I'm curious about with this idea of obsession with, you know, information or, or facts or, you know, knowledge. And I am wondering if it's more of an addiction to this because again we are constantly being inundated with so much information and there's such an overload and also going back to Gord's point is that yes there there's there's this kind of lack of awareness and in public health it's also very confusing for people and i think my sense is that with your work this helps people to be able to be more discerning and also have more clarity because I think part of this overload is that we have so much confusing, confusing and contradictory information that's coming at us. And this also creates, I know for myself and in, in, in people that I work with, it does create an inner sense of feeling very destabilized. Yeah. So, so this embodiment <clears throat> process 
that and in, in terms of in terms of teenagers and you're saying the individuation i think that never leaves us our our need to be individuated would you agree or no yeah i you know it's it's a you know when you talk about addiction um we we inevitably fall into addiction because we're in a culture that has no no longer the ability to recognize enough it it, it doesn't exist like what's enough money what's what's that number when you have enough money there is right. there is no number what's enough information well there's no you can't get enough you need always need more you know what's enough technology what that we've what's enough yeah. yeah yeah and we've obliterated that and the reason we've obliterated that is because we have dissociated from the body so when you come down when you drop out of the head and the center of your awareness drops down and comes to rest on the pelvic floor this moment is enough this moment is more than you could ever grasp mm. and and so that 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 tug for more is a tug to fill the emptiness in the belly from which we've departed you know we've left a hole yeah. there in ourselves and so uh, sam keen wrote a book uh, fire in the belly that that whole thing of the the emptiness of the burning inside i don't know if you, do you remember that uh, it was very much sort of got moved into the men's movement there for a while oh yeah yeah no Back in not. the 80s yeah fire in the belly Beautiful. Oh, okay yeah, I will check but it, it out. Yeah, yeah, just what you're talking is very similar to that. Yeah, point. and it it really does go into the you know Gordon. I've talked before about the uh, different chakras in the body, and also the sensation of you know that clingingness comes from that feeling of there's not enough, yeah. and I need more. And and I think you're absolutely well. At least I agree with with that sense of we don't know when enough is and and part of this experience has forced a lot of people to really reflect on their sense of what is enough and the disappointment that comes up which is but i think it has to become even more internal because yes, yes. you know all of this it's not enough this isn't enough is i'm not enough right right and and really that's where it comes down to is until i know that i'm enough i will never have enough and I think, you know, one of the reasons I am not enough is because we are drilled into this mindset of being alone. And if I'm alone, um, there's, there's, it's such a limited resource. If I, if I feel the world living through me, I mean, I contain multitudes, you know, it's, and, and, that, that sort of cultural message that you are alone also means that, you know, it's not just that you're not enough, but, but you are endarkened to your primary relationship. So there's, a, there's like a domino effect. If you, if you believe, you come to believe you are essentially alone, then then your experience is felt to be strictly private. And then your number one job is to organize that, to get it right, to make a success of it. So what you've done is you've taken the spotlight of your attention and you've turned it off the world and onto yourself. 
And you're now in that divided state of self-consciousness where you're organizing the self. So there's the part of you that's organizing and the part of you being organized. And your primary relationship is between the divided parts of yourself. And that, that task of organizing is, is more interesting to you than anything out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we struggle to be present. And, and that's weird because all there is is presence. All there is is wholeness. <laughs> but as long as you're in a divided state, um, you cannot join the present as a felt whole until you surrender to your own wholeness. And so, as I said, we're imprisoned in a self-consciousness that, that wears us down with the attrition of self-conflict. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what people feel, and that's what comes to the fore, especially when the distractions that we're used to are stripped away and we're left in a solitary sort of confinement with the, with the mm-hmm. lockdown. There's an exercise that I'm well familiar with uh, of you know, basically asking, and I, I encourage some of my students to try it, and they're, they're quite enthralled by it. Uh, who are you at 3 o'clock in the morning? The lights are all out. You're naked. You have one candle burning. But you're nobody's son. You're nobody's husband. You're nobody's wife. You're nobody's daughter. Who are you? And to sit in that place, and you know, when you strip those labels away, which is what keeps us in our head. I mean, I think that's one of the confiners. The other big one, as I was listening to you right now, was the church. The church, especially the Christian church, is, I mean, it's, you can't be perfect. You can't be, you can't be, you can't be. You're born a sinner. You know, well, <laughs> exactly. You've already got a few strikes against you and you started, you know. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the areas that just keeps, without us even realizing, is is just sitting in our society as a, um, you know, as my, my mother or my grandmother would say, you're getting too big for your britches there, boy. Um, it's an old British term, but, you know, we knew what that meant, you know, is, yeah. is that don't be godlike. Don't, don't even think that you can, uh, t- you know, attain some level of, of uh, enlightenment because that's not intended for us. Yeah, I mean, the church is like a corporation that has attempted to monopolize God as though God is found within its bricks and mortar, but, but not, in, not? Not, not in the pencil I hold, <laughs> not in the bush in my front yard, yes. not in the milk I'm pouring into my tea, you know. Uh, yeah, it, and that God is like you can, you know, you order, you place an order. If you're if you're no. good enough, I mean, right. you get you enough. get your merit points and you put in your order. Uh, yeah, shopping list. So, yeah. so Philip, one thing you mentioned around the primary relationship, and and do you consider the primary relationship in terms of the uh, you know the the embodiment process? Um, is it a sense for you where it's the primary of the self, but in relation to all yeah i mean that's a great question so so i named my work the embodied present process and 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 what i'm trying to point to with that name is that it's not that the present is out there and you're in here the present lives through you but you it's like what we what we do is we 
uh, fill the body with tensions, with, with habits, with dullness, with islands of desensitivity. We, we consolidate the body, and then it becomes like a singing bowl filled with sand. And the present is all the time trying to ring that singing bowl, but it can't because it's full. And, and when, the, when the inner work is done that allows you to find those unintegrated islands of, of held energy and bring them home to the pelvic bowl and integrate them, and there is a spaciousness to your being, then the present is felt there. And, you know, that, that self that we talk about Again, we, we, we in, in our cultural concept of aloneness, we imagine the self is held within the envelope of our skin. But right. when I talk about my being, I am talking about what I'm present to. I mean, everything that is part of the present moment is part of my being. There's no separating them. You know, the your presence in the in the in the the Zoom room, the cup of tea at my side, it's all part of my being. My being is what I discover when I'm fully present. And so to know yourself is to come into that primary relationship that is at the root of consciousness. And we forget that the word consciousness doesn't just mean awareness because there's that little beginning of the word con, which yes. means with or together. Yes. So consciousness comes from a Latin root that means to be mutually aware. Mm. That's what consciousness. I, didn't know that. I never knew that. Yeah. So that's the root of consciousness. And, and as I am, aware of the present, the present is aware of me, knows me more intimately than I could know myself. I so, discover myself through the present. That's so beautiful. So I'm really, right now, I do, do you work with your physics? Do you bring physics into this? All the physics time. Physics in particular. Yeah. I believe All that. the time. I because, bet you do. Because that, you know, that inquiry into yes. reality, you know, th there's this... Um, irreconcilability between uh, general relativity mm -hmm. and quantum theory. But what's interesting, and David Bohm pointed this out, is that they both show wholeness. Right. Relativity says you can't divide space and time. Everything affects everything. The, you know, the, the faster you go, it, it changes length, it changes time. And, and quantum mechanics, on the other hand, says... You know, everything that happens, everything affects everything else. It is, it is a field of such sensitivity that, that you, you can't even wrap your, your mind around it. And so, so it's just two versions of wholeness that need to find the bridge between them, which is what David Bohm did. But that inquiry into reality is, is what I am clamoring towards you know, in my life, because everything that happens 
can be felt through the body. Mm-hmm. If the, if the, I, you know, we think of the body as a vehicle or a, an organic machine, and, and I think, no, no, the body is a resonator. And it's that capacity of the body to resonate to the present and feel what is that has enabled us to survive as hunter-gatherers, that seamless harmony with the world around them where they can feel animal presences. Where but I think it's become a big, sorry, it's just become, no, no. I think the resonance piece, I agree, I love that. But I think what most people, the reason they're afraid of their bodies is it's a container, it, everything it resonates, it just goes, and it holds it in there. And there's more and more held in the body, which we can see as people, you know, you know, gain weight, lose weight, get, you know, whatever. Um, there's just so much held garbage. I, I think the primary reason for that is because we all we know is top down. And the mind tries to organize the body. So you've got this billionth part of our, you know, information trying to organize the other billion parts of us that are teeming to the world's intelligence. So we, we cut ourselves off from the world's intelligence and manhandle ourselves. And we right. make a mess of it. Yes, because we're not resonating at all. You know, I think probably we were stopped resonating around age two. <laughs> Yeah, and and we stopped resonating, you know, by 230 B.C. Because (laughs) um, um, Plato wrote a dialogue called Timaeus. Mm -hmm. And Timaeus was this brilliant guy. Everyone respected him. And someone at the beginning of this dialogue ventures to ask him, Timaeus, how did the gods create us? And Timaeus said, well, they, they fashioned this divine orb based on the heavenly spheres and then they realized it would get stuck, so they grew it a vehicle, arms and legs and a trunk. <laughs> so there we are in Plato's day, the uh, body is a vehicle, and the head and is the divinest part of ourselves. There you go. Interesting. There you go. Speaking of divine, we have to stop here for a moment. Um, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back with uh, Philip Shepard, and you are listening to Things Worth Considering. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories, it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. I'm Gord Riddell. I'm here with Alexia Georgiusis and with our guest, Mr. Philip Shepard. Um, we were just talking on the break here if uh, Philip maybe had a couple of little exercises. Instead of talking about it, I think that having just, you know, some idea of what you can do in terms of small practices uh, that actually drops you. Like I know throughout the day, you know, there are things I do that just, you know, keeps me down out of my head. I uh, wonder if you want to share any anything. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that we suffer from is a disconnection. We, we come out of relationship. And to me, the quality of relationship is gentleness. It's, mm. it's gentleness that allows you to feel the other and respond to it and come into relationship with it. So, so I'd like to just invite people to... Bring your awareness to your breath and see how gently you can feel the breath. And you feel the body release to the breath. So you feel the body release to the in-breath. And, you know, we, we tend to drive it. We tend to have a destination where it should be like this. And, and to let go of any expectation. And just bring your awareness to that subtle level where you feel as gently as you can how the body releases to the in-breath and the body releases to the out-breath. And let it be gentler. And let it be gentler. And the more gently you allow yourself to feel, the more you drop into the subtle life that is your being. And your being isn't the chunky ideas you throw around. Your being is a realm of such subtlety. And the more gently you can allow the breath to flow through the body and release from the body, the more gently you can release the body to the breath the more you drop into those currents of your being. Very nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very nice. We have Bill on hold. If we want to say hello to Bill here, I like that gentleness. Mm -hmm. Mm. Hello, Bill. Hello. Hey, Gord. Hey, Alex. How are you? Hey, Bill. I'm wonderful. Thank you. Great. What can uh, Mr. Shepard do for you? Well, we've talked a lot about embodiment, and I love the fact that he's going into breath work. Uh, I'm currently on a three-week out west kind of personal retreat, and uh, in the beginning of it, I was trying to stay really organized, but as (laughs) my personal driving retreat went on, I just offered it up every day to the angels, to my spirit guides. 
And uh, last night, I was in Idaho at a park that has sand dunes. And so I climbed up to the top of the sand dune in the desert, per se, in the high plains of Idaho, and stayed there for about an hour before the sunset and about an hour after the sunset. And as I let my mind and my thoughts go and settled into the presence of the desert, it just became alive. And you could hear the dogs barking and birds and things rustling. And I'm on the top of this dune overlooking everything. And this little black beetle climbed up this tall dune. I watched him for like 20 minutes. And he comes right in front of me. But uh, that's how I try to stay embodied. As, and I know it's harder in the city sometimes, but whenever I can drop into nature, that feels like embodiment to me. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a little, there's just less distractions. I agree with you 100%. I love to go into nature and sort of feel a little more human. <laughs> Take on some of its energy. What do you say, Bill? Or, uh, sorry, uh, Philip? Yeah, that's, that's so gorgeous, Bill. Thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, we, we, are, we are children of nature. It, it, it's, it's birthed us, it sustains us, and we, we forget that in our arrogance. Um, we think we've made ourselves somehow. <laughs> and I think that there is a humility that is sort of a sign of honesty. I think you, you cannot feel wholeness in the way you did on that on that dune in the desert without feeling humility. Mm. And I don't think you can feel wholeness unless you are capable of humility. And that little beetle, I mean, that's us, Bill. That's us <laughs> climbing the dune. Exactly. No, it's, it's, there's companionship everywhere, and, and we forget that, and we, we are reminded of that when we go back to nature. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they talk about the, the whole thing about awe, the, 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 the importance of awe in our life, A-W-E, uh, that most of us lose, you know, a lot of people just lose their awe, their curiosity, their, you know, their Wonder. playfulness, all, right. all, those, all those things go. But to, you know, to, they, they talk, even as a, as, a, as a way of treating with depression and so on, is just to go to a place and just be in awe of where you are. Bill, thank you for calling, by the way. I just wanted to say that. I'm not sure if you're still on the line. Uh, I am. And I'm just going to say one more thing, and I'm going to hop off and listen to the rest of the program, is I'm amazed when I get quiet enough, especially in the wilderness, there's this light that is always there in the wilderness. There's a kind of a silent buzz, but the crickets, the everything has got energy and all of a sudden now you're surrounded with this cacophony of beauty of sound visually and everything and it was there the whole time but it wasn't there to me until I got quiet enough so thank you all I'm going to drop off and listen thank you for sharing Thanks. thanks Bill thanks Bill wow Oh, and that, you know, that, I just wanted to say, Bill, that if you're still 
able to hear that that quietness is the quietness of what the body knows and what the body most deeply understands is that it belongs to the world mm. and you you know you stand before a tree and you belong to each other just as you belong to the bug and the bug belongs to you climbing up that dune <laughs> The, the body knows that it belongs to the world. And when we forget what the body knows, we end up in this rat race going round and round in our head, stories chasing stories. Yeah. We end up being in the convertible with the stereo turned up full blast as we go through that desert and not be able yeah. to hear anything. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Philip, my question as well is in terms of helping people who live in a city and don't have the wherewithal or ability to leave you know their work is here maybe they're in small apartment basement apartment whatever it is they they can't get out even though nature is around us and the earth is the earth no matter where we are whether there's concrete around it doesn't matter it's still the earth but do you have a particular suggestion or you know sort of something that could help people to to go into that place in terms of that awareness of breath, the softening. I thought the gentleness was really lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I see a lot of is a lot of people will say, I can't do it in the city. You know, I need to get out. And, and what's your answer to that? Um, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, there's know, more for me. <laughs> the, yeah. There, there's get out, um, ride a bike. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm riding my bike, um, the world is alive in, in, in just the way that Bill described, right? There's all this energy and, and I'm threading the needle through it on my bike, alive to everything. And, you know, it, it's almost like, like a jungle animal or, or find a patch of grass, a patch of ground in a park and sit there and feel because because the city is harsh and what happens you you're confronted with harshness all day long and you become harsh on yourself oh there's some wonderful places in this city though that you know i just by the lake you know there's certain parts along the lake and the island i mean the the ravine system that goes around that which is great biking uh just you know, I mean, we're, people don't realize how amazing Toronto is, you know, yeah. from that perspective. It's very outdoors oriented. And the canopy that's, you know, over the city of, of trees is spectacular. Yeah. It, it is. So, just, you know, I'm, when people just, say, I, I, I just see it as I can't do this until this happens. You know, I can't, I can't get out of my head until yeah. I cut my head off. Yeah. You know, like we set up all of these conditions and I see that I... I can't do this until I get to go away and leave the city and be in the far north. Well, when's that going to happen? It's not. I mean, it's just a, it's a condition that basically says, I don't want to do this right now, okay? Right. And, <laughs> Wouldn't and it be Gordon, easier right, to say that? I don't want to do this? That is, yes, and, and I agree, Gordon. That's typically what, uh, you know, I, I hear is, you know, not from everyone by any means, but it's a sense of it's too much work. Or, I, you know, it, it's too hard to get there. I don't want to go on the TTC. Like all of this around, again, the constrictions of people who don't ride a bike or who don't have a car. That's me. I don't have the other one. Yeah, and don't go on the TTC. Or maybe they do. 
But I do think I do. that that's an interesting thing around the human condition where there's a there's some type of block around, you know, us being able to allow ourselves to touch that sense of peace and wholeness. Uh, that's, you know, I living mean, there would be great all the time. Yeah, I, you know, we we are culture creatures of our culture we are shaped by our culture our mm. neurology bifurcates and and innervates according to our culture and our culture is in denial of wholeness mm. we you know we, we we've evicted mystery from everything it's it's all explained by molecules the the world is shattered into independent bits in the same way that society is shattered into independent independent people and and we we have lost the ability to feel wholeness i mean we can't escape it it's always there but we can desensitize ourselves to it and and you know when that happens you when you lose the ability to come into that primary relationship with the present with wholeness then you lose its guidance, and then all you can do is guide yourself, sitting in your head trying to write the, the rules by which you'll win, trying to formulate the strategies by which you'll get ahead. And it's a, it's a contracted, stifled, alone place to be, and every ailment… But it's organized. And it's organized. <laughs> it's continually being organized. And every yep. ailment in our culture, from, from depression to, to suicide to anxiety, they're all characterized by a sense of being alone. And to me, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, you, you're very insightful. Um, we'll love to have you come back. Uh, and talk some more. Uh, I think we just barely scratched the surface on this one. We'll get it more organized That's next right. time. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Such really. a pleasure for me too. Thank you. Great. Uh, next week, I would like to uh, invite you to join us uh, live again. We were, we're going to have an astrologer. We're going to go from inside all the way out into the cosmos with Julie Simmons. She has been at this work for 45 years as an astrologer. And her goal is to make this very practical, um, uh, any of the intuitive work that she does. So I'm uh, going to be really interested in seeing what she has to shed on 2020 in our pandemic pandemonium. Uh, what's going on? Also, don't forget that every Friday night at 7 o'clock, I hold a compassion energy circle with meditation. And uh, you can uh, uh, drop a line at info at spiritgrows.ca. Pass a message along to Philip, or I will then be able to send you our Zoom meeting on the uh, uh, 7 p.m. Friday night Compassion Energy Circle. And on that note, I wish you all a very great week, and we'll be back here next Thursday at 8 p.m. Thank you. Bye now. For tuning into Things Worth Considering, please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.